Hello. My name's Lauren Bear, and I'm running against Brian Mass to represent you in Congress. Lauren Bear's wife, Emily Myers, was surprised when she told her that she wanted to run for Congress. I think when I first told Emily that I was thinking about running for office, her response was something to the effect of, really? But you find politics so distasteful. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. Politics is incredibly nasty business these days, and I think a lot of people, like me, are exhausted by it. Civil discourse is at an all-time low, and one of the things that we don't acknowledge enough is that running for office is really hard on a family. It's hard on a spouse, and we don't always hear about that, but it's true. A campaign exposes your spouse and your children to the press, the public, opening everyone up to attack and criticism. Here's Lauren Bear again. And I mean, I was incredibly aware as we were making this decision that it wasn't just about exposing myself. It was about exposing those people who were closest to me, my wife, my child, my parents, my in-laws. It's something I don't think you can ever be fully prepared for. You grow a thick skin. The comments online sting. This is Lauren's wife, Emily. I don't read them. I mean, I am i don't do much on, on social anyway, so it wasn't like, oh, I need to, you know, take a step back. I'm fascinated by campaigns and what happens behind the scenes of those campaigns. So fascinated, in fact, that I wrote a novel about it, and it came out a couple weeks ago. It's called Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. I know this is a shameless plug, but it makes sense with this episode. For Charlotte, I interviewed more than 100 women candidates from all over the country on both sides of the aisle who were running for office or who had run for office. And we kept coming back to this very issue. In the book, I wrote a list of names that our fictional candidate, Charlotte, is called on social media. All of them were real names that real women candidates have been called online in real life. Here are just a few of them. Harpy. Mrs. Satan, a pig in lipstick, horse face, cow, nasty, and then a lot of words that I don't want to say on the radio. But like Lauren said, you develop a thick skin when you run for office. Your whole family develops a thick skin. And you do it because you have to do it. Because you know if you win, that it will be your job to make millions of Americans' lives better. It's at times like these where you realize you can be angry and, and sit on the sidelines or you, you can get in the arena and actually do something. And what I kept coming back to was our daughter, Serena, and thinking, what would I say if 20 years from now our country had really taken a turn for the worse? And she looked back at us and said, hey, moms, what were you doing in 2018 when everything went south? And I wanted to have a good answer. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed.
I'm uh, Lauren Baer, candidate for Congress in Florida's 18th Congressional District. And hi, I'm Emily Myers. I'm Lauren's wife. Um, so Lauren, you said something great before Emily got here that it was nice just to get an hour to spend with your wife. What's, what's your schedule been like? Every day is an adventure, I would say. Um, schedule is totally uh, unpredictable. Campaigning is really a seven-day-a-week job, 12 to 14 hours a day. And uh, in the midst of all of that, we try to figure out how to be good moms, too, uh, leave a little bit of time for ourselves. Em and I are pretty practical people. And so we just try to take it day by day, week by week, plot out how it is that we're going to make a little bit of time uh, for ourselves and our family in the midst of all of the other demands of campaign and uh, Emily's career as well. Lauren and Emily first laid eyes on each other in 2010. They'd both graduated from law school and they were working at the same law firm. Here's Emily. So we've been nerds for a really long time. This didn't just start. So we, we met because we were both associates at the same law firm in New York City. And we were in the same practice group, but we'd never actually worked together until we were partnered on a mandatory mock trial training for all litigation associates. It's about the most romantic way possible to meet your future spouse. You get paired with them in a work training program. So romantic. Totally romantic. Yeah. But as we started to work together on it, we realized we had all kinds of very disparate things in common. Um, and we became friends. And then about six months later, it turned into more. They dated as they both excelled in their careers. They knew they wanted to get married and they talked about that for a long time. They even went shopping for rings together. When you're two women, there's no real roadmap for this kind of thing. And Emily and I aren't really the kind of folks who like big surprises or big public displays of affection. So there was no sort of public proposal flash mob thing. We'd actually talked about it for a long time. We knew we were going to get engaged. We went shopping for rings together. And then basically, when, when the rings arrived, we proposed to each other. Well, sort of. <laughs> so I had planned in advance a special thing for Lauren, which she figured out because I had made a book of photos and romantic things I wanted to tell her because I knew when we got married, we were just going to have traditional Jewish vows. We were not going to write our own vows. So I created a book that had all of these snapshots from throughout our relationship and essentially put into the book what I would have put in as vows. And I made that book and I had it sent to our apartment because I couldn't get packages at work. When Lauren saw that that package came, she was like, oh, I know what this is. So we waited until the rings came and then I presented her with the book and the last page of the book is, will you marry me? And then Lauren said yes, and that was great. And then she was like, oh, let's 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 call her parents. And I was like, <clears throat> still waiting. And so then you asked me. <laughs> Details. 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 <laughs> you know, then we called our folks and uh, then we went to work. When the two of them got married, they weren't allowed to get married in most parts of the country. And so they did it in New York because that was one of the few places where they could legally get hitched. We had a really great 
and meaningful wedding. We got married in New York, and this was at the beginning of 2014. We couldn't legally get married in Florida, where I was from. And there's a synagogue in New York on the Upper East Side where one of my great uncles had been the rabbi after World War II. So we got married in that synagogue in a traditional Jewish ceremony. It was really deeply meaningful for us to be able to say the same vows that people of our faith had said for thousands of years and to do it in front of our family and our friends. And not only recognize it, but but celebrate yeah. it. I mean, we feel so blessed that there were so many people who wanted to be part of that celebration and share the joy with us and with our parents, with our families, because unfortunately we have dear friends for whom that is very much not the case, which is absolutely heartbreaking. We were married by the same rabbi who had married my parents. Oh, my gosh. And who had bought mitzvahed Lauren and her sister and married her sister. And so there is a lot of rich family tradition there. Now, when Emily and Lauren first met, and even when they got married, neither of them had any idea that Lauren would ever run for office. This is Emily. I don't think Lauren knew that. I knew she certainly had leadership aspirations, but I think as a political appointee, the idea of being appointed secretary of state or something along those lines. But in terms of actually running for elected office, particularly for the U.S. House of Representatives, was not something that was really on the menu. Prior to running for office, Lauren's jobs had always been behind the scenes. She served as an official in the Obama administration from 2011 to 2017, acting as a senior advisor to secretaries of state Hillary Clinton and John Kerry, and to U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power. In October 2016, Lauren and Emily gave birth to a baby girl. They named her Serena. Em and I were just so, so excited about the world she was being born into and the fact that she wouldn't know any limits to her aspirations. That made me think very differently about the direction our country was going and my responsibility to create the kind of world I wanted my kid to live in. But Lauren didn't start seriously thinking about running for office until the day before the Affordable Care Act repeal vote. See, Lauren's mom had been chronically ill for a really long time. The day before the vote, her mom called up their representative, Brian Mast, to ask him not to repeal. And as luck would have it, she actually spoke directly to him, said, you know, I'm one of your constituents. I have multiple pre-existing conditions. I'm too young for, for Medicare. And if there were still lifetime or annual caps on coverage, I would be uninsurable. He listened to her very politely and voted the next day to repeal. The ayes are 217, the nays are 213. The bill is passed and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. That was the light bulb moment for me that if not now, when, if not me, who? But running for office is a family decision. Or at least it should be. Like I said before, your entire family ends up running with you. They're often thrust into the spotlight in ways they never expected, that they never could have expected. They become vulnerable, and your life and family dynamic can shift dramatically. 
running for office, I think if you're doing it right and you're in a couple and you're in a marriage, it's very much a team and a family decision. Yes, this is very much a team sport. There is a captain of the team. Her name is Serena. That decision and the conversations about it were long. This is Emily. I definitely had to take a beat because that wasn't something that we'd really considered before. And with the other things that were going on in our lives and certainly my career, I was just, as the ultimate pragmatist, I was thinking, okay, we want to do that. How is that going to work day to day? But I thought about it and I just figured there's no one better than Lauren to represent me or any of us in Congress. She's exactly the type of person who we want to run, someone who's smart and passionate and understands how things actually work in Washington and has the appropriate experience and judgment to bear and is in it because she actually wants to represent people. Lauren filed her paperwork to run for Congress in Florida's 18th district. And as she ran around fundraising, stumping, meeting voters wherever she could, Emily became a support system in this whole new way. And I do want to note that she still worked full-time during this whole period. She was a full-time attorney, a mom, and the spouse of a congressional candidate. Most of the work that I do is very much behind the scenes, supporting our family financially, running a lot of the logistics, being Serena's primary caretaker. So my schedule is easier to impose certain limitations on than Lauren's, certainly. So coordinating all of that, we take things sort of one day at a time. Fundamentally, I do think that we are like any other two-career household with the demands that all working moms anywhere face. In a way, that sort of makes it even more exciting to think about Lauren being in Congress and having someone in Congress who understands firsthand what those demands are like and trying to balance that and trying to be the best mom she can be and the best leader she can be. Here's Lauren. I am aware and grateful every day for how fortunate we are. We have an extended family who's incredibly supportive, two sets of parents who are very supportive. We're in a position where we're able to afford childcare. We're in a position where Emily is able to have a certain degree of flexibility in her job. That's not accessible to most people in this country. For most families where they're two working parents, it's a struggle just to get by on a day-to-day basis without all the flexibility and resources that we have. There are significant barriers to women running for office. Women have a harder time fundraising than men do. They're put under much more of a microscope by the press. As a mother, you always want to be doing right by your child and investing as much time and energy in your kid as is humanly possible. As a candidate, you always want to be doing right by your future constituents and investing as much time and energy in them as possible. And so the biggest challenge is figuring out that balance. An average day for me might start at eight o'clock in the morning and might not end until nine or 10 o'clock at night. And in the course of that day, 
between meetings and meet and greets and forums with constituents, I'm trying to squeeze in an hour in the morning to feed my daughter breakfast or try to carve out from 5 to 7 p.m. at night so I can feed her dinner and give her a bath and put her to bed and, and give Emily a little bit of a break as well. Running for office is nearly a full-time job. So you need to be in a position that either you have a spouse who can support you while you're doing that, which is what Emily's doing, or you need to be someone who is independently wealthy. Mm -hmm. That's why I think you've seen so many candidates who look the same and have the same sort of backgrounds. I feel like we're fortunate because M has a good job and we've been able to tighten our belt this year and make it work. But that is just not an option for most people in the country. And that's totally putting aside all of the systemic barriers to women running, the doubts about whether you have the skills and experience that it's going to take, whether you're going to be appealing to the electorate in your district. If Lauren had listened to the political pundits who talk about her district, then she wouldn't have run. They said someone like her couldn't run. The conventional wisdom was in our district, you couldn't win if you were a woman. You certainly couldn't win if you were gay. Wasn't a good look to be running with a young kid. Curly hair is kind of a problem, too. (laughs) (laughs) This is Emily. We want to win because we think this is the right thing for this district. This is the right thing for the country. We want to win. We need to take the seat back. But I think even just taking the step to run and to be out there in every sense of that word and go expose ourselves to whatever vulnerability or attacks that we might have in this public position and just to give it a solid go, that in itself, I think, is really important. And Lauren has already heard from young gay kids around the country, young women around the country who have found Lauren's campaign on Facebook or heard about her from a friend at school and have reached out to Lauren and said, thank you. I had never seen anyone like me running for office before. There are so many incredibly impressive women who we've met, other Red to Blue candidates who are running. And the hope that I have for our Congress and for our country, if these women are elected to office, is so refreshing. It really could change everything. It really could change everything. This is a good place to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter, Over the Influence. 
We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Emily, you talked about opening up your family and being vulnerable. What's that been like for you? You're such a private person, and then you become a public person. Your family becomes a public family. And that's a transition that a lot of candidates don't talk about. I think we try and always put our best foot forward. Everyone has those moments of in the grocery store, it's early in the morning, you're not wearing any makeup, you just, you know, threw on the first thing on top of the pile that was clean. And maybe someone doesn't always catch you when you're at your best self. And so trying to limit those moments and being more thoughtful about that. We're human. We're going to mess up sometimes. We're not going to be perfect. Hairs are going to be out of place. We're going to say things that are inartfully phrased. But just trying to be more thoughtful about being our best selves most of the time in a very deliberate way. And we're also very protective of Serena and certainly how her image is used, how she is on the campaign trail, all of that, because she's a crucial part of why we decided to do this and why Lauren is running. But at the same time, she's not yet two, and she doesn't have a choice about what she does or doesn't do. So we're trying to be sensitive to that as well. It's that we think that in virtue of having made a decision to put yourself out there and try to serve your community, that an individual has a right to say anything that comes to their mind. And there should be criticism of one's policy positions, Mm -hmm. of where they stand on the issues. There should be a discussion of the type of representative a person should be. I don't think there should be a discussion of women's hairdos. No. Or the colors that they wear, or if you like their shade of lipstick. And you hear that a lot. You hear a lot of unsolicited feedback. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I hear the unsolicited feedback. Like, you should really tell Lauren. Now, see, your hair is less severe. You really should tell Lauren. She needs to, you know, lighten things up. (laughs) And by severe, they mean curly. Yes. 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 Well, because curls are very severe. Curls are very severe. Yeah. And threatening. I'm threatened by your curls as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you have to laugh because if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. But all of the advice is conflicting. You wear too much color. You are not enough color. You wear too much makeup. You are not enough makeup. You should really wear your hair up. You should really wear your hair down. You should try to wear heels more often. You should try to wear flats. It's dizzying. You should wear more business suits so you look more professional because how can we believe that you've accomplished anything if you're so young? But you shouldn't wear a blazer because then you don't look approachable and you should look like someone I'd want to approach in a grocery store. So you kind of have to take it all and chuckle. When we were having this conversation, I thought that maybe in my voiceover, I'd explain what the women were wearing when they came in to talk to me. And then, as I was writing the script for this episode, I thought, no, you don't need to know what they were wearing. That contradicts everything we're saying about how we treat women candidates. If two men walked in here, would I describe their suits? I wouldn't. So I'm not going to tell you about their outfits. It is on our Instagram if you want to check it out.
Emily, do you feel that pressure for your hair and your outfits to look a certain way as a candidate's wife? A little bit. I certainly don't want to create any sort of distraction or negative attention, but what I would be inclined to wear naturally pretty easily fits into that anyway. So I feel like I can be authentic and still accomplish that goal. You haven't been able to rock a mohawk lately. No. 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 Um, As soon as this campaign is over. Yeah. Mohawk time. Mohawk time. So thankfully that hasn't been so much of an issue, But I do feel it just because I know that people are so hyper-focused on that for Lauren and that people, in the same way they feel the license, it's open season on whatever it is that they want to say to her, same thing to me. And most of it isn't directed at me. Most of it's directed at her, but I still get it. And that's still hard to hear. If Lauren wins this election, she'll be the first woman in a same-sex marriage elected to the House of Representatives. It's a thing that comes up on the campaign trail, but not in the way that she expected it would. By and large, people don't really want to talk about my sexuality. They want to talk about the issues, right? I'm, I'm out there on the campaign trail. People want to talk about healthcare. They want to talk about education. They want to talk about the environment. They're not really all that interested in the fact that my spouse happens to be a woman. But to the extent that it does come up, it comes up in the most incredibly heartening ways. I'll give you an example. A couple months ago, we were doing an opening of our campaign office. And a gentleman came and he'd learned about the event on Facebook. And after I finished speaking, he came up and he introduced himself to me. And he said, hi, you know, I want you to know I'm I'm a lifelong Republican. I voted for Donald Trump. I voted for Brian Mast. But I didn't leave my party. I feel like my party has left me. And and I like what I see in your candidacy. And I'm here because I want to support you. And then he said, oh, and by the way, my daughter is like you. Does she have curly hair? Does she have curly hair? <laughs> I was like, she's, she's five foot one. Uh, you know, but he pulls out his iPhone and he starts showing me pictures of his daughter and her wife and their twins. And I thought, this is what it means to run as an openly gay candidate Mm -hmm. in 2018. We're going to take a break now. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. How do you guys make time for your marriage during this campaign? I think we sneak the time where we can. 
At the beginning of the campaign, we often found that the time we had together, we were mostly just frustrated about the fact that we had so little time together. And then we got to a certain point a few months in, and we looked at each other and we said, hey, this is different than the way life has been. We don't have our evenings anymore. We don't have our weekends. We don't have anything that resembles a full day off together. But we have these little bits of time. And let's just focus on making them worth it. Let's focus on being kind to each other. Let's turn the devices off when we're together. Uh, let's go out as a family, me and Em and Serena and our, our furry baby biscuit. Uh, <laughs> and when you do that, you squeeze a lot from the little bits that you get. It's definitely about quality over quantity at this point and just trying to be as present with each other as possible. When we can't be in the same place, we're texting back and forth and just whatever we can just so that we know that we're thinking of one another and so that our lives in our day-to-day sort of moment-to-moment remain connected. And what's an average day like? I mean, I know that there's no average day, but what does the schedule look like trying to juggle two working women, a campaign, a very small child, and biscuit? I mean, so... In average day, we'll get up 6 a.m.-ish. Got to get up before Serena, otherwise the day's gone. Day's gone. Got to try to get ourselves up and fully dressed and ready before she wakes up around 7. And then it's kind of a frantic dash to get the dog walked and get her fed. And get the dog fed and ourselves fed and make sure that the lunches are ready to go and... We're organized for the day. And, you know, then it will be around 8 a.m. If it's not a week that Em is off on business travel, she usually works from home these days. I will pack the kids, both of them, the furry one and the non-furry one, in the car. We usually go drop Serena off at my parents' house. I will go off for a full day of work. Emily will do a full day of work, biscuit. Well, it depends on the day whether Biscuit comes to work with me or stays at home with Emily. He plays an important yeah. work function as, as well. Round five o'clock, hopefully get a break in the day, come back, pick up Serena, bring her home, feed her dinner, bathe her, get her down. Then usually I'm off to another event. And I go right back online. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that most campaigning happens when other people aren't at their jobs. So you have no choice but to work nights and weekends because you have to catch these people when they're on their quote-unquote leisure time. You have no leisure time. You want to make the most of absolutely every minute of every single day because you're working against the clock. Election day is fixed. You have to do all of your work before then. So every single day, I want to be out meeting and engaging with as many possible voters and constituents as possible. So that might mean in a day, I have a breakfast meeting and a lunch meeting in two or three different coffees. And in an evening time, I might be at a meet and greet in someone's neighborhood, or I might be at a community meeting of the NAACP or a local indivisible group. 
but you just want to be out and as present as possible. And you're constantly juggling the demands of that against your desire to have a little bit of time with your kid. Because I mean, our baby girl, she turned 21 months old yesterday and she is every day changing and growing and different. And you want to witness that too. And so we just make it work on a day-by-day basis. And as Emily said, you know, on those days where I've got to be at something between 5 and 7 p.m., and that's more often than I would like, thank goodness for texting, thank goodness for FaceTiming, the number of nights I've been FaceTimed into bedtime, but you make it work. I kind of feel like that should be a campaign slogan. Women, we just make it work. (laughs) (laughs) I want to acknowledge the fact that my wife is a rock star. Thanks, babe. This is not an easy thing to do. People ask a lot about the demands on my time, but the person who's carrying most of the water for our family is Emily. She's working really hard every day. She has a really big, impressive job, and she's doing the bulk of the childcare work too. She's the glue that holds our family together, the glue that holds this campaign together doesn't matter how good a candidate I would be independently. Um, I'm only able to do this because of her. So I'm just grateful every day that I have the kind of marriage that has allowed me to go out and fight this fight for our community. Thanks, love. I just want to see you shine and do the right thing for the people of our district. It sounds really cheesy, but it's true because we need more people like you. Campaigns are long and hard on both a candidate and their spouse. Now that I wrote this book about a woman candidate, I get asked all the time about other women running for office in the upcoming midterm elections. People at book events are constantly coming up to me and saying, where are all these women who are running for office? I drop my voice to a conspiratorial whisper. They're everywhere, I tell them. And that's true. There are incredibly qualified women running for office right now on both sides of the aisle. It's worth taking the time to get to know who they are, regardless of your political beliefs. Check them out, go to their websites, find out more about their policy issues, and most importantly, whether you're voting for a woman or a man, vote. The midterm elections matter. This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. Special thanks to Lauren Baer and Emily Myers, as well as Rebecca Lipson. It was produced by Ramsey Hunt and edited by Tyler Klang, with mixing by Tristan McNeil. The executive producers are Joe Piazza, Mangesh Hatikater, and Will Pearson. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil, with additional music by Axe Tree. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, send an email to joe at committedpodcast.com. That's J-O at committedpodcast.com. Would you rather call us? We would love to hear your committed story. That number is 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173.
404-996-1173. Committed now has apparel. To check out our store, visit tpublic.com slash committed. That's tpublic.com slash committed. You can grab a copy of Joe's new book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. This episode was recorded at Mouth Media's Network Studio in New York, powered by Sennheiser. Check out Mouth Media's fun and inspiring daily podcast, Hashtag Moms Got This, for all the working moms getting it done. Hashtag Moms Got This is on iTunes, Google Play, and on MomsGotThisShow.com. Committed with Joe Piazza has been a production of the How Stuff Works family, produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.